and welcome to the Dice is Screaming. Oh, wow, that's good. Hey, I'm Randy. I'm Mike, and welcome once again to the Dice Are Screaming. Yeah. <laughs> the little gaming podcast that the Nautiloid refused to pick up. Oh. Oh. <laughs> the intellect devourers just ignored us. Yeah, they just went right The now. thought eaters are starving. The mind flayer threw up mm. in its mouth a little oh. bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, all the all the brain devouring creatures are looking elsewhere. Yeah, coming up and hey, so yeah, a new week talking about uh, stuff that's been going on. Hey, uh, you know we've been uh, chugging away at uh, our. Podcast coming up here is uh, going to be our 300th episode. I want to remind everybody that's coming up. So we're yeah, going to give this is 298. Our next episode will be 299, but we're only a couple away. Yeah. So why don't we start out with the Astro Gallimancer? What's in the future for 299? All right. Okay. The Astro Gallimancer has gazed into the dice and in the mysterious results he divines. We're having a look. I return to in some respects, because a long time ago we touched on this topic, but gatekeeping has reared its ugly head again. Uh, it, it is still a habitual issue of like internet gamers, you know, that there are some amongst us who have very strict rules regarding what you absolutely must or must not do in order to be a proper and true gamer. No true Scotsman. Uh, yeah. We're here to just, we're going to trample on that. Like, yeah. we're, we're not going to lie. We're not going to hype it. We're not going to pretend that, like, oh, there's some mixed feelings here. No, it is one of the stupidest activities known to humankind. And you're, like, you're shaming people. Yes. Yes, we absolutely are. Mm -hmm. Like, a, not. But how not to be a dick? I think that's. Uh, yeah, it's the, the gentle art of, like, hey, if you love a facet of the game, be that be the champion of that. But this crazy, rigid absolutism that you know, you can't be a gamer unless, wow. Okay, way to take a thing that, like you, you started off, you were on a thing of beauty and you just made it ugly. Mm. You <laughs> it's a, this Mona Lisa would look so much better if I gave her a little mustache with a like, you know, little pen. Put some fake glasses on her, yeah. Okay. Exactly. Like you put a, put a cookie nose. put a cookie broom under her nose. Yeah, there we go. So yeah, we'll be talking about that and invoking Wheaton's law. Don't be a dick. And yeah. also we're experiencing right now a new renaissance in gaming. During a renaissance in gaming. And I think it's interesting that with uh, Wizards handling of the OGL and a lot of people looking to other systems and games to play, that they're running into people who try to tell you how you should be playing the game. So we're going to explore that next week. So hopefully you'll stick around for that one. Tune in. That'll be an exciting time. But yeah, this week we are talking about Baldur's Gate 3 and the Phenom. And uh, from its weird start to its even weirder playing but it's rabid success and you know the it's, launch of it it's impressive launch because let's be honest uh, I, i'm not saying they haven't had a few hot fixes okay but um 
the required maintenance and alterations that we are so used to in the gaming industry with a brand new released game of very large scope and scale mm -hmm. is usually more substantive. I mean, there, there's usually some, you know, very, very serious glitches. Um, and we have not really seen a lot of those. Okay. And I, I say that as a person who like is now playing it uh, as of this week. So whew, I, an impressive launch. I, you got to hand it to him, guy. I, <laughs> um, look, man, I, I may not be uh, especially thrilled uh, with Wizards conduct uh, or Hasbro's conduct. But, you know, what we're here to really talk about today is a particular product uh, that a lot of companies have collaborated on. And I mean, obviously, the source material is owed to the parent companies, but but a lot of people put a lot of hard work into this. And boy, did it pay off. <laughs> Man, uh, blowing up them internets. <laughs> blowing up them internets. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with that one. Yeah. So, uh, what I want to talk about a little bit too is uh, some of the things going on outside of our little echo chamber here. Uh, we've been ruminating about uh, Gen Con and a lot of the things that to take in from that. We touched on last episode a little bit about Gen Con and kind of got into a ad hoc conversation about corporate responsibility, stewardship and all that stuff. But I think one of the, the big takeaways is how much actual content has been coming out of Gen Con from just not Paizo, but Chaosium. Chaosium came out with their uh, Prosopedia of Glorantha as well as uh, the Lightbringers and the Earth Goddesses uh, books, which as soon as I get my hot little hands on them, we'll be giving a review of those. Heard some really good stuff, and I've been looking at the illustrations and just astounding. And uh, one of the things also, Nick Brooke, our good friend, has been coming out with a new one with uh, the Crimson King adventure for the Lunar Empire, since he's a big Lunar Empire fan. Uh, I want to see his book on that one, so... I mean, obviously, I'll be playing in the court of the Crimson. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I can't wait to go to this court. Yeah, I know. So <laughs> you're not ready for that. That could turn you into an evil scientist. Sorry, I just had to venture brothers it. Yeah. So <laughs> you know, a lot of other um, companies uh, use Gen Con to showcase their products and things that have come out. And you know, does not disappoint. Looks like there's quite a lot on on the front for Warhammer Fantasy Role Playing from Cubicle Seven. So they're doing uh, a good job of keeping that setting still alive, even though technically, from Games Workshop's stand standpoint, it's a dead setting. But never really uh, bought into that. Your own game is your own. So I'm glad to see that they're keeping the old world fantasy role playing game still in attack uh, but uh yeah there's been a lot of conversation about what the future of you know gaming conventions are as i've seen um PaizoCon was all online this year i got to basically attend it but you know, a lot of takeaways i had was is that yeah they don't uh they're not doing a live PaizoCon right now and mm. uh, you know that's uh because 
they really decided to focus all their efforts on Gen Con, and I, that is telling too. But uh, we talked enough about Pies the last time. I just want to kind of drift into that to the next talking point. It's like there's a relevancy that I think Wizards is uh, their absence is telling. Um, it's it's kind of weird that we don't see D and D as well represented by the flagship company. I mean, maybe not this year. And I mean, let's face it, this is an unusual year. And flashing back to our previous conversations, tactically speaking, mm -hmm. you've got to ask yourself, is there anything that they could do that they could show up with this year that would heal what they've done? Or do you think that perhaps what little they have to show would only remind people of their interest in changing the direction of the company? which is a extremely sore subject. Uh, there's an awful lot of us who are resistant to some of the new directional changes, you know, where Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro have been aiming for. And hey, look, it's not like we don't love these other products here, the video game that has just come out that we're going to be discussing today, or the movie that came out this year that made such a, you know, it made a modest splash in its initial theatrical run but has been gaining steam as it has arrived on various streaming platforms. I, you, I've seen a lot of folks come around. Uh, it's like, no, I, I did not go to see it in the theaters. But as mm -hmm. soon as it was on my preferred streaming service, I watched it and like, oh my gosh, I kind of wish now that I had seen it on a giant screen in the theater because it turns out this was a really good movie. Uh, so I've been hearing some delayed reactions. Oh, yeah, yeah. Moments from people where they acknowledge. So we love these other products that, hey, WOTC Hasbro, with their complex relationship with us, they are the source. It's complicated. Yeah, but the relationship status is it's complicated. Now, what would they come to a Gen Con and present to us that wouldn't put them in some kind of jeopardy. I can totally see why they would back away and like, eh, you really want to go there and talk about, we've got exciting news about D&D &D 1. Uh, anybody want to talk about that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, they went, oh, oh, oh uh, we've been moving forward on our on our virtual gaming products uh, as opposed to our, our physical book line. Uh, would, you, would anybody like to have a chat about that? No. So, yeah. yeah, there's nowhere they can go. Well, so they, they made a tactical choice that I, I think, maybe think is understandable. How I would look at it is that their absence has been telling for several years. But more importantly, that this year, it probably was a wiser choice. But, you know, you can always fall back on the fact that, hey, we're D&D &D and we're still here. So I think that there's something to say for that, that the community... <laughs> could at least just open a booth and put up a big sign that says we're sorry yeah <laughs> then just just run the south park commercial uh, with the uh, the oil executives <laughs> going one by one we're sorry we're sorry we're sorry yeah. we're so sorry oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get you. It, it's a hard read. I just, uh, I think that there's a lot uh, going on right now. Uh, it's an exciting time to be part of the role-playing game community from both a player and a participant. 
as you know a consumer as people who really look we're passionate about it for one reason we don't we're active participants and have been for a really long time we lived through the dark days when tsr almost folded after gygax got ousted and they reinvented themselves with second edition and that was a good time for a while but yeah they slowly screwed it up and I think they had a good run for a while, but uh, there's there's a point at which you kind of cap out, and you know you got to reinvent the wheel pretty handily. And they did not. Uh, they also, let's be blunt, they overextended themselves massively. That that book publishing empire turned out to be a very expensive undertaking that did not generate the like you might get a spot on the New York bestsellers list. For a week because of the advance orders to Barnes and Nobles, but that's not the same as people actually reading it. Um, well, you know what? I'm going to have to come off my high horse on this one and just say no. You know what? I'm going to have to talk about Paizo. Is uh, they just released a humble bundle? This uh, well, it was actually a couple weeks ago. It's still uh, quite a lot of time. About 15, 16 days still left on it. Uh, their humble bundle, where they are giving the PDFs of or um, stories of all their novels that they wrote for Pathfinder. Excuse oh, me. interesting. Yeah, about 41 books for about 25 bucks. And nice. You can read them on any device. Yeah, um, I didn't intend this as a plug for, for them. Well, sure, but I mean, that's a good that's a good opener. I wasn't really thinking about that, but now that you mention it, yeah. And they're reinventing, they have, uh, in their statement that they had, which we probably should have covered when it came out, but the president of Paizo announced not only their unionization had went through and they had negotiated with every, all their workers and developers and team members, but that they, besides revamping their website, which much needed Paizo, you guys <laughs> need to work on that. Yeah, you may have heard our earlier mockery. Yeah. <laughs> so the hamster finally gets a break. Like yeah. they, they disconnected the hamster wheel that runs their server the morris code <laughs> telegraph is being closed down finally yeah we yeah uh, finally they have upgraded and it's well deserved so I, i'm not we can stop teasing them about that now i mean we'll we'll tease in reference to the past but it's got to be all past tense now so good for them they're, they're yeah but they're also saying that they're uh a lot of the book departments that Mike was just talking about during the glory days of TSR, they overextended themselves. Um, they have decided to release all their old books on Pathfinder and stuff. So it's a nice chance if you want to get into the lore or you never picked any of these up, this is a good way to get it. But besides the shameless plug, they are going to re-release a, or not re-release, they're going to take another stab at the publishing venue again. And this time they're getting a, writer yet to be named there's much speculation about that who will be taking their flagship uh campaign world Golarian, not glorantha into a new age so they're going to be launching a book series on that and hmm. apparently it's going to be based around the mysterious disappearance of the god aradin so in their setting so that'll be interesting i think that um there's been a lot of interest in books, which, you know, what, what we've been living in, the this is almost 20 years that books are dead. 
and now they're at an all-time high. I mean, readership is my wife's been doing her uh, the mediums by which people enjoy literature have changed, but the creation of written media and the consumption of written media has not. No, it has, it, it has not been as drastic as people has imagined. And a lot of folks, uh, my wife is on book TikTok, really go for the physical copies now. A lot of people who did initially jump in on the ebook craze and all that. Oh, sure. But once, once the bug of writing bites you, or sorry, of reading bites you, uh, you, if you were of somebody's like different generation, and maybe you didn't read a lot of books. But like you get post college age and you find yourself like just a little bit of time each night uh, and like there's a fandom that you really enjoy and you want to read a book uh, with that kind of material. And so you start poking around and you find a book that matches the genre that you have an interest in and you read that and you go, oh, man, that was really fun that you're getting very, very close and then one day you pick up an actual book. You you know get the tactile sensation of holding something in your hand that is concrete and having it there beside you, uh, with that you know little slip tucked in it to remind you where you left off uh, each day. Now, I love those little things. Uh, I I like the actual physicality of books, but I'm old, so for me it's. Well, the good news is, is that a lot of people, especially younger folks, and we, we have to talk about younger folks in less condescending ways, are starting yeah. to understand that they're sharing in that. And, you know, I think that all things aside, whether you like what's being published or you don't, I mean, nobody, books never really go out of style. I don't think. I think that they have a certain ebb and flow. I mean, at the turn of the century, weren't they uh, complaining in newspapers and other print media about people spending too much time reading and enjoying themselves? Oh, and, oh, yeah. This was the editor's craze at the moment was reading fever has struck the young. You know, just the furious uh, outrage that young people uh, <laughs> were reading too much and too fervently. They're taking too much pleasure from reading, <laughs> which really what it shows you is the unending division of age groups where what are young people doing these days? I hate them for that. All oh, those scurrilous little pieces of crap. Well, as a story and I can say this, that uh, like the walking old ladies across the street craze, these filthy, miserable, crappy children luring elderly women across the street and then just abandoning them on the other side. You know, just whatever young people are doing is crap. Whatever old people are doing is cool. Yeah, screw that. Screw that dynamic. It was idiocy a hundred years ago and it's still idiocy now. The backlash was because at the time, to put it in context, a lot of people had, they didn't have a lot of free time and leisure time. And it was starting to become more prevalent among many people, especially the uprising of the rising of the middle class and urban industrial age had now transferred from just endless toil to time off. And so people had time to enjoy themselves. Well, yeah. And the literacy was rising. Yes, okay. And uh, look, it, it wasn't getting a few lessons in reading and writing in a one room schoolhouse in the country. Uh, 
with industrialization and urbanization came large numbers of people in cities. And this meant organized schooling on a level that frankly had not existed before uh, with, you know, the commensurate uh, eventual realization of wide-scale literacy. That made books saleable on a scale that they had not been yeah, saleable. Yeah, also paperbacks. Yeah. Pulp magazines, besides just newspapers. I mean, there's everybody talks about, oh, hey, looking into these uh, rectangles of glass and plastic. Everybody's just doing it. They're a zombie now. Um, go look at some of the uh, pictures from the 20s, and you see everybody with their face buried in a newspaper on trains, <laughs> walking down streets, in streetcars, and... At in even cafeterias and restaurants. Yeah, also fascinatingly, other trends. Uh, early 1900s, the, the coloring book had a craze. Yeah. Uh, people were, I remember the social media crowd griping that, like, oh, they're making coloring books for adults because adults are like children these days. You know, the usual outrage, fury, and all of that. Turns out, yeah, this. Like a hundred years ago, they went through the exact same craze. Like Although they used watercolors and pastel pencils. But. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it was just a pastime. It's a way for people to do something that was hobby-like, that was not so complicated that they had to devote their life to it. Because if you want to take up doing oil paintings, landscapes. Uh, <laughs> take some skill. Yeah. And dedication. Uh, skill, dedication, and time are going to be required. And just relaxing and doing something fun didn't. Uh, also, another side note, same time period, uh, people used to keep squirrels as pets. <clears throat> yeah, just out of nowhere. You know, I'm not throwing that one out there. Yeah, that was common. Like it, they, they weren't. Uh, how do I put this? Uh, they were comparatively easy to housebreak. Uh, they were friendly if they were regularly fed. Uh, they were affectionate. Uh, relatively safe to have around children uh, because if they were domesticated around people, then, you know, they weren't terribly destructive. Uh, of course, the natural wild squirrels. Um, oh yeah, my I, I, I don't, I don't think anybody would want one of those in their house on a regular basis because that isn't going to work out well, but domestication that was normal a hundred years ago and times mm -hmm. just changed. Yeah. I think it had to do with the depression. People did not have time for small pets that were also potentially edible. Uh, so <laughs> it took the wind out of the sails of that little. Well, cats and dogs always been with us, and they probably yeah. always will be. But at the same time, well, we have a certain idea yeah. of. See, yeah, there's always somebody crying about some new innovation. I mean, newsprint itself was, well, compared to how it is today, is completely different. But back then, it was all pervasive. I mean, look how many newspapers there used to be back. Oh, as I'm doing my yeah. studies in uh, World War II history, I was like, there, I've had to keep so such meticulous note taking, not to confuse papers with one another that actually had real content versus clickbait. Yeah, uh, even 40 years ago, uh, the newspaper scene was uh, rampant. I mean, there was like literally a different newspaper in every town. Now. There might be large companies that offered backing for a wide variety of newspapers in a wide variety of places, but they could make money doing that because the circulation was going to be there. Mm -hmm. So wherever there was enough bodies to merit creating a newspaper, investment followed. Now, oh boy. 
Well, yeah, forget it. You know, now your newspaper is some kind of. It's a paper memory dedicated to the process of getting people to try to go to the online version behind yep. the paywall. Which, yeah, paywall. Here's a surprise for you. I'm not going there. Right. I. I mean, I'd buy it off a newsstand, but like now that you've made it absolutely tiny and worthless. And what is available is so filled with ads and pop-ups and cookie content that it just doesn't even really, it doesn't even uh, merit reading. Um, Yeah. It went the round of junk very Yeah, worshipologist, I'm looking at you. (laughs) Anyway, you know, it's just, uh, it's intriguing to look back that, yeah, you know, uh, a new company is... Well, not a new company, but a company that's more modern is looking at getting back into printing fantasy literature. And, yeah, it's growing all the time. And look how many um, movies and TV shows have been made out of books over the, fantasy books over the years. And you start to wonder why, like, this hasn't happened sooner. It's because, well, I think most of the time people have looked at fantasy literature as something... Uh, the only weird people do, and that's just <laughs> the not. weird country cousin that you know. <laughs> tag cop- along. Oh, what do you mean? I got to bring him with me. He's family, dear. <laughs> just no. Uh, yeah, there was a second class citizen status for science fiction and fantasy fiction yeah, for a long time, uh, although it has a rich and fascinating traditional history that. You know, you may have caught us mention in some of our mm-hmm. uh, discussions on early proto-fantasy literature and early proto-science fiction literature. But as we approach the half-hour mark, uh, we're going to, you know, reel it in a little bit. We're, we let the marlin out, uh, but it's time to reel it back in and start talking Baldur's Gate 3. Right, and wow. also, uh, just to mention, we got our 300th episode coming up. Yeah, we're going to keep pimping that. We've got some nice swag for you to win. So, just remember, if you haven't got your Facebook account updated, try to get over there and uh, find the Dice of Screaming. Yeah, any form of communication, be it through Spotify uh, or be it through Facebook, uh, the Dice of Screaming. Yeah, we will be watching everything intently. All names will be added until right before the 300th episode. Like right. Literally at the time of our recording, that will be the addition of the last communications. So we got a surprise to give away. Uh, one of them is going to be the uh, reaction of Freddy from the Dungeon Master's Guide cover and action figure. Mine, X-Series module, the gem in the staff. Oh. 1983, in very good condition, bagged and boarded. Oh, wow. It's it's a lovely sample, uh, but yeah, the and gem and the staff from 1983 D and D module. Nice. And my di- um, wife will be adding a handmade crocheted dragon egg dice bag, capable of carrying over 100 dice, so you can carry your dice in comfort <laughs> in a dragon egg. Yeah. So fitting. That's what we're going to be offering, and fitting knitting. That's up for grabs, all yours. Just enter in. Yeah, so so that's happening. Uh, And when we return for our second half, we launch into the majesty and the mystery that is 
Baldur's Gate 3. Yes. So stick around. And we're back. So, hey, welcome. Talking about Baldur's Gate 3. Wow, what what a thing. But uh, you know what? Mike Hannah, I have to just hand it to you, buddy. You, you took the hit. You know, you made a personal sacrifice. Great, at great cost to sanity and life and limb. And put yourself right in the mix by downloading yourself a copy and getting it. Where I have not. I have only peripherally watched over the shoulders and various videos and reactions. So, Well, like I told people, um, look, at man of my word, uh, during our initial discussion uh, back during the first mentions pre-release, uh, there was some controversy surrounding this game. And I was like, look, uh, as a general rule, Either I want something or I don't want something. And getting on the internet and bitching about it and critiquing it and being really harsh, you know, for what, like whichever side, whichever acts people have to grind, it really has no sway. Okay. It has no power. My decision making about purchasing a fairly expensive new game, because uh, like, I mean, it's at the top average market position of about $60 for a new release. Uh, no DLC has come forth or anything like that yet. Right. This is brand new, hot off the presses. Uh, given modern times, I, I still think a price point a little bit lower would be nice to me. I don't expect games to be 20 bucks like they were a lifetime ago. But, you know, I still feel that 60 is pretty steep, so you got to deliver content. What do I expect for my 60 bucks? A lot but it doesn't mean I'm not willing to part with it. And this was a game that having played Baldur's Gate 1 and Baldur's Gate 2 and the various addendums for all of the above, because like, yes, I have all the additional content for the other games as well. This was kind of a foregone conclusion. I was going to find out what this was going to be about, and I was going to experience this no matter what. So <laughs> if it seems like I threw myself on a grenade here, no. This was destiny. I was going to buy this anyway, and one of two things was going to happen. I was going to be extremely pleased or at least satisfied by my purchase, or I was not. All right, so we're going to save it to the end about what actually you think about that. Yeah. In the meantime, we're going to talk about that start. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> I'm just going to pull the bandaid off this one. There was a lot of reactions about uh, the druid bear sex scene. And um, I was kind of curious, like, why would you lead off with that? And was it a gaffe? Was it a plan? I don't know. But it was the reactions, the pearl clutchings. Oh, my gosh, the pearl clutching. Like from well, some of the older guys. who No press is bad press. And I think they knew that. Looking back now, mm -hmm. I, I look at that as an advertising move. It's like, watch this. This is going to get people's jimmies rustled. They're going to get furious. And then they're going to talk about this on the Internet. And that is going to drive our sales. And indeed, that seems to have been what has happened. Yeah, whether that was their intention or not, that's the outcome. It's a how to transform the Internet outrage machine and the idiots that, like, like almost like obedient tools that like, if you give them something, you know, they're going to go every single time. They, they can't help themselves. 
Now, if you know they're going to do that, and that's predestiny, like that's already decided, how do you engineer it so that they do your marketing for you? Oh man, masterstroke. <laughs> See, I don't really think that was that intentional, but I do think Sorry there's, that. there's a part of me that was like, I, I was, some may recall, I mentioned going to college to be in advertising and broadcasting and like psych, ad psych and all of that. Uh, that's that's what I went to school for years ago and I rebelled against it. But I still have the skill set and I still think that way. And I hate that I do. But yeah, I, I look at it and I see, you know, wheels within wheels. Smart. Well, I tend to use a much simpler paradigm. Never attribute malice to what you can attribute stupidity. So, <laughs> And I think maybe in this case... Yeah, I could be wrong. I don't really care either way. It's just the point I want to uh, land on is that, yeah, there's, it was a weird flex for me to see that as your opener. But however it came about, the outcome is undisputable. It really got people talking about it. So while the plural clutchers won't buy the game or haven't bought the game, and I would um, almost use a term from comic fandom. I would call them almost fake fans, except that they play a certain type of game that they're very passionate about. And we'll touch on that on the Gatekeeper episode coming up next. This will be tied in a little bit to this episode. So we're kind of doing an arc here. But back onto the topic. Baldur's Gate 3, uh, once it hit the market, the pre-release party and all that, man, uh, did it blow up. And it blew up in a way that surprised even a cynical person like me was like, yeah, it'll probably do all right. There's, it'll make a splash. But it seems to have really got the attention of not only just the fans, but companies like Blizzard who say, like, unfair that you make a game so good. And I'm like, what are you bitching about? Hey, that's high praise. I know it is, but I'm that's, just like. That's the backhanded, like, you know, we're, we're bros who are competing. Like, a, you you play for the Lakers, and, and uh, you know, like, I, I, I'm over here. Uh, playing in Detroit, and, you know, we, we got a little rivalry going, uh, you know. Up. So we take some shots at each other, but we both acknowledge, yeah, look, you're top tier, bro. Way to go. You did good. Yeah, and I think that they're they're saying that it was unfair that they've raised the bar too high. This is from Blizzard, who has completely done that yeah. over and over again. Recently, I think they've kind of they've lost their edge, which, hey, it happens. I still think they make good games, but nonetheless... Uh, Hearing that kind of, like Mike says, high-handed praise, you kind of stole my thunder on that. I will do a micro for Blizzard, okay? Um, They have reached a threshold of complexity for play that I think people are starting to find very challenging. Some of their games uh, that are like great stalwarts, the the great, you know, uh, frontliners of Blizzard's stable of awesome games, still love them. Difficulty and complexity of play have kind of continued to creep forward over the years until you're making them less approachable. Whereas the magnificence of early Diablo and early Starcraft was their incredible accessibility at any skill level of play. Now, the better you were at it, the better the gameplay was. Obviously, you could really do some amazing things, Uh, but you could be fairly clumsy at it. And still have a pretty darn good time. So I think I, I reference myself specifically. Now, Blizzard 
I would kind of like has to a little problem with that. To steer back to uh, Baldur's Gate, our now, topic. Back to Baldur's Gate. I would like to use the meme of the guy with his girlfriend passing a hotter girl. And, you know, <laughs> PC gamer and hand in hand with Diablo 4. And the hot girlfriend or the hot new girlfriend, uh, Baldur's Gate 3. You know, ooh. <laughs> I think that is, I think they're a little sore about that. Because Diablo 4 is looking like, oh, what? what? Why are you looking at? Oh, I hate you. So let's talk about what, besides the pre-launch hype and all the controversy, what is Baldur's Gate 3? From a man in the field, Mike Hanna. All right. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, not to give vast spoilers here. Uh, I, I am going to start with like the most commonly known thing that anybody who is playing the intro will have seen is that you literally begin as the victim of some hideous mind flare experiment, which uh, you know, aboard a vessel that is clearly being pursued uh, by dragons with riders. Now, uh, Yankee. it is a, a desperate flight uh, by a mind flare to accomplish some kind of task before these dragon riding Githyanki warriors with silver swords can catch up to them. The, the great rivalry between the Githyanki and the mind flayers plays prominently in the opening of this. Uh, I got to say there was a horror element there. Uh, aside from the incredible visuals, my God, I, uh, first class. Okay. I mean, this is, we're, we're taking a notch past Skyrim and the excellence that is Dragon Age. Uh, and Cyberpunk 2077 without the yeah. crashing. And we'll I'm not dissing any of those games. I'm saying that like all of those games had the signal honor of having been some of the very best at what they had created at the time of their release. And I love literally all of them. I, I thought of them as terrific games. Uh, this one has once again accomplished that now fairly difficult thing to do where you have pushed it a notch further in terms of visual perfection. Uh, the, the smoothness of action, the, the realistic nature of appearances. I gotta love it. But returning to the plot, uh, the ship is pursued. Mm -hmm. Horrific experiments involving the placement of a parasite into the eye of the main character. Isn't it a uh, illicit tadpole? Yeah. Yeah. That is, you know, <laughs> works its way into the brain. Uh, <laughs> and wow. Um, yeah. I got to say, most discomforting to watch. Like, that. yeah. Well, you know, I want to take a moment here and talk like about up. the lore is that, you know, they could have done many other things. But if you know anything about Spelljammer, is that the Illicit or the Nautiloid ships are powered by a pool of their spawnlings, their tadpoles. Yes. Uh, Which appears in the ship, by yep, the way. And that, that's how they power their vessels through wild space. Nonetheless, that they chose that. And the Githyanki, the ultimate high-level uh, foe for AD&D when, when you're plane hopping. 
Yeah, you don't want to run afoul of them. That silver sword on an 18, 19, or 20 cuts your silver cord. And if you're in the astral plane, you're dead. Yeah. Yeah. I, not fun. <laughs> that's uh, one of those conflicts where you hope the DM does not crit. Yeah, and that's a that's a big thing. But that they chose these the antagonists as the backdrop of this game is, I think, a nod to the the canonical lore that has built up around Dungeons & Dragons game. And, you know, it, it makes the old salts like us kind of smile and nod in approval. And the uh, and it's exciting new material for young people yeah. who have no, familiar, for no younger familiarity fans, yeah. with that lore. They're discovering it for the first time. So, I mean, yeah, I agree. It's a win-win. So adds off for them being on that. So um, the gameplay, now from what I've seen, is very smooth. It doesn't involve a lot of wheel and uh, keyboard prowess, but it does. Is it more turn-based? Yes. How would you say? Yeah, okay. So it goes uh, back to the turn-based rather than a real-time combat game. It has more of a relationship in terms of physical gameplay to the way in which a game of 5th edition D&D is played. Right on. Now, in the versions that I played before, Baldur's Gate 1, Baldur's Gate 2, it was much uh, like, well, Baldur's Gate 1 uh, was quite simple. Baldur's Gate 2 had advanced things a bit. Neverwinter Nights had moved to the radial dial menu. Right. Uh, but they were all uh, capable of being paused. And while you were in pause mode, you would then Make give your individual right. instructions to each of your individual characters, and then you would unpause and battle with ensue, and you would pause again and adjust accordingly. Not so for this game. I'm not saying you, you can't pause at any time if you right. feel like it. Right, right. Uh, the escape key is still your friend. Mm -hmm. uh, but what happens here is that once combat initiates, in these, like, the, the presence of someone turning hostile immediately freezes the game. And turn-based approach begins. Now, whomsoever possesses the higher initiative, of course, is the individual that goes first. And then, of course, in the descending order, according to who has initiative. And that includes your party and all members of your enemy. Uh, very interesting comfortable dynamic that is familiar to all gamers. So I, I don't think it's unembraceable for new arrivals, oh, yeah. but it's certainly familiar to all of us. Uh, then uh, there is a dice rolling mechanism that I, I feel is a little unnecessarily florid. Okay. This is not a harsh criticism. Uh, it's, it's their choice for design. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that there's probably some mode I have not yet learned. I'm having too much fun just letting this happen the way it is to interrupt it yet. Uh, maybe I can bypass this and right. speed through it. But uh, opening a locked chest or uh, disarming a trap uh, or attempting to discern information from someone uh, through conversation periodically involves switching to a rolled 20-sider that appears on the screen and you press the 20-sider and it rolls and then the result appears on the die where it lands. And of course, your appropriate bonuses or penalties are then added. Uh, of course, with advantage or disadvantage, two dice are used if you have right, advantage right. or disadvantage and 
if it's disadvantaged, the lower, of course, and if it's vantaged, the higher. But the time consumption on that, uh, after a while, I felt the bet drags a little bit. Like, okay. oh, we're back to the dice screen. Uh, and I've got to go through the whole process with a little vroom, vroom, vroom. Yeah, we're not just going to go, okay, I rolled an 18. I've got plus six, total 24, done. A little excess in the time, but it's visually pleasing. I, I think that's very fun for new arrivals or educational for people who wonder what's D&D like. So I, I have some misgivings as a person who has so much experience that I don't need this, but I see why they might have chosen it. All right. Well, so fun. Um, it, it's, it's not a deal breaker. Great. Um, yeah, it didn't seem like it bothered anybody yeah. so far, but it's, a, it's a thing worth mentioning. Um, I just wanted to also say that like the character creation now, a lot of <laughs> online wags have started to say things like, yeah, you spend, you know, this is a trap at the opener. You got to pick your mode. Like, is this, I'm a grown up, and I feel like this is going to be a facet of my game. Uh, that I'm open to, like if I'm trying to bust all the achievements that I possibly can, including some that may require some adult content, so be it. If you are not looking for that, you are absolutely capable of shutting all that down. So, yeah, I heard that there's explicit scenes, naughty scenes, and I haven't gotten to any of that yet. Okay. I'm still in the yeah. I, that's the thing is, I think. A lot has been made about that. I'm out of the prologue. The Nautiloid ship has crashed, and my character is oh, free yeah, to you're pretty world. early in the game still. And I'm into the introductory mode. I, I've made it uh, after through a few. You're out of jail. After a few adventures, I've worked my way to a druid's grove, and now we're headed for a goblin camp. And yeah, you know things are happening, but like everybody's pants are still on, and I'm kind of <laughs> thankful for that because like look, that's not my focus right now, people. <laughs> okay. Huh. When I have figured out what all of the achievements are, then I will get around to you each in your own time, the way I did in Dragon Age, like a dirty stomp around tramp that I am. <clears throat> Talking to you, Zevran. But uh, yeah, a lot of the NPCs are really engaging. Uh, I think that we keep using this term AI when we just say that it's really advanced yeah. scripting and there's a lot yeah. of good... So it makes it seem more uh, lifelike and people really engage that. And I think this is something I want to kind of mosey on. Uh, I'll be brief. But I think that uh, in fantasy games, we often say that, like, hey, this is a place to explore. Oh, I, I had a little trouble customizing my character. I, I didn't want to use a stock character for my, my intro run. Uh -huh. And I found it uh, a little confusing. I'm, st I'm still... I'm going to try another run with another run through with another character at some point. Like uh -huh. if, if I get bogged down and I'm not comfortable with how things are working out, I will make another character and try a different way. But I had great difficulty crafting a non-stock character. And mm. I don't know why. That could just be me. Not going to cast harsh judgments yet. Uh, but I, I didn't feel like I was able to easily like pick a class that I wanted. Uh, Without yeah. going to stock characters. I guess uh, that kind of was like cyberpunk where you they just give you a character, like V. And then yeah. you make make it what you will. Not a fan of that particular, you know, like I don't consider that the premium outcome. 
uh, for me. All right. Again, not a deal breaker because visually stunning. The landscape is magnificent. The, the intensity of detail is superb. Uh, I am still going through facet after facet of gameplay that I do not yet fully understand. Uh, I have let the intro mode exist to help explain things to me as I play. And I have been relying on that for key functions and you know, like mm-hmm. how to uh, manipulate gameplay appropriately. So, yeah, I, at least the support system is within the game in tutorial mode. So, yeah. again, we approve. Uh, that is that is not a critique. That is a, oh, thank goodness, because I really need this. I need some advice. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, I, I mean, I think that it's important to say that while you're looking for things to critique, there isn't really a whole lot compared to a lot of uh, other things. I was going to bashes. These are like, uh, you know, minor concern could be a little more easy, you know, could be a little more in or a little more convenient, but, Oh yeah. These are not profound dissatisfactions. These aren't frustrations that make me turn my back and huff and fury. Uh, (laughs) But your game is not crashing every five minutes. Oh God, no. Um, the smoothness of gameplay, the, the NPCs aren't walking through walls or stuck sideways in a vehicle. Yes, like you. a certain other 2077 game. Um, or, uh, you know, mysterious floating characters. Uh, yeah. That, like in uh, Skyrim, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a whole thing about that. But I think that needs to be said. <laughs> yeah. Point I was going to land on earlier is gone now, but all right, uh, yeah, I think that it's functional to say that this game's release needs some applause because a lot of other games have a very slapdash approach to getting the game out. Let's get this pig in a can. We've done as much as we can in the beta. Let's get it out in the wild, and then we'll hot patch it down the road. And yeah, there have been some hot fixes and things like that, but they've been relatively minor. Oh, Inventory yeah. control among NPC, your uh, party and some stuff like that. Nothing really that stops play or makes you like throw want to throw the uh, monitor across the room. Oh, God. Nothing's been like that. And I think that's very good for a game that has taken a while in development. That they not only took their time, but they did it right on the first launch. You get one shot at it, and I think they, they hit that. Um, they made it very clear they didn't want to hassle in getting people playing this game and i think that's been refreshing i also see that people who don't just play dungeon dragons are first getting into baldur's gate and they're now saying like hey maybe i should play baldur's gate 2 maybe i should play baldur's gate 1 oh yeah they're classics and sure but you know you don't have to <laughs> i love baldur's gate 1 because who doesn't love minsk Okay. Yeah, and they do. They love having that guy in my party. (laughs) So he's coming back. So I'm to kick butt for justice. (laughs) Go for the eyes, boo. Go for the eyes. So, yeah, we get to see a lot of that. Plus, um, there's always people may not get the joke, but it's there. Just watch some YouTube videos; you'll you'll catch up on it. But I think pretty much that the hassle-free launch. The, as you said, the clear um, tutorial uh, from, you know, click point, how it teaches you to use the interface. 
as well as some of the spell effects. I mean, the spell effects have just been, from what I've seen, it's just, wow, you really did a good job. You not only captured it, but this is how it I envisioned looking at it. Yeah, and I've had my, my so chief, I mean that the, I would have played a lot more by now, except that, uh, frankly, I've had a lot on my plate yeah. and, like, the constraints of time. Plus the sheer volume of phone calls I've had, I like. Uh, there's been a lot of intercommunication owed to like crisis amongst friends and family and loss and things like that. This was a thing that brought me a lot of joy at a time that uh, like I, I was not feeling particularly joyous. Okay. So I, I had a great time and. Uh, so I yeah, mean, but I mean, it's a fact that they sat and worked on how these spells conceptually look to a lot of player base, and they got it pretty much right. Not that my view of how a lot of these things should look or feel is authoritative, but I think that they got a good consensus. And by getting that, you can get people who have deeply rooted uh, connections to some of these effects and spells and get it right. You know, they've had a lot of time to watch other games, how they evolved and worked and what hit and what missed. So I think they got their arms around the project pretty well, pulled it in and made some very good choices. Now, we promised that you would have some criticisms. So you've kind of been giving a, a running critique yeah. as it is, but let's hear a because hard I'm, criticism. I, I'm not going to butter anything up or okay. just like this is not a – to have any value as a genuine critique, it should actually include the ups and the downs, the things that I look at and I see as beautiful and interesting and the things that I find a little clunky or a little awkward. Um, the closest thing – to a full-scale critique, uh, or a, a full-scale full complaint, would be the clunky moments that I experienced in character creation or the limitation of options. Uh, I don't feel like they went anywhere near as far as some games have, uh, and certainly not as far as they could have, uh, or at least the menu options. Uh, if I am correct, and it's not just that I haven't recognized how to manipulate all of my options yet, then uh, I would say that they probably could have done a little more there. That, you know, I, I had difficulty not just choosing a stock template uh, baseline character from their pool of here's who you begin with. Uh, and... Man, uh, I, I guess since uh, they also asked, like, you will need a protector. I, I made one. Mm -hmm. I have no idea where they are or where they disappeared. Or, or well, you're still it, all right. Like so, it, so like you get your out critique of the is probably okay, and you're into the introduction phase, and I've never seen this this protector. So yeah, your critique is limited by that you haven't played very deep into the game yet. Yeah. So yeah, you'll find out. But I think. You said that there's some options in the character customization that you feel limited by. Oh, yeah, they, I, they put a lot that. of time and effort into stuff that is, like, really cosmetic. And I'm looking for, like, an easier time structuring okay. a, you know, like, a character that has nothing to do with their baseline characters. So I, old part gamers like us might find that a little bit more distracting yeah. than it is additional. But, but hey, again, you know, is this a deal breaker? Oh, God, no. Well, I wouldn't. <laughs> I've played so many games over the years where there were so fewer options than this. I mean, 
look, I, I don't really care. Like, does my character have a lip ring? Do they have a tattoo? He's like, oh, yeah, it's a whole bunch of choices I don't need. But if it makes other people happy, it's fine that they're there. I have yeah. zero complaint in the sense that like, oh, that shouldn't be there at all. No, no, <laughs> that is not the complaint. A little too much for me on the stuff that doesn't matter and not enough of the stuff to me that does. Uh, it was not easy to access and find a way to be a character that is completely new. And the stock <clears throat> templates seemed to, you know, really push themselves in. So I think it more reader. facilitates uh, a speed of play rather than having to understand all the pros and cons of class yeah. optimizations, pro this, that, and that. Yeah, you didn't have to be a 2E player to work this one out. Right. So you made... Um, I think you made some good points, though. I think that from an early standpoint of the game, it's pretty easy to get into. Um, my wife knows almost nothing about Forgotten Realms, so she was, you know. Oh, yeah, the lore's there. The names are familiar to me. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of spoilers and stuff it. in it. But at the same time, it's all... Oh, pardon. Goodness. Um, yes, um, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's... Uh, in there for new players and old. So I think Baldur's Gate uh, is a breath of fresh air that everybody needed to remind us who what D&D is and show us once again. But we're running out of time and we've more ran long today. Yeah, so. it's a great rep. So we'll wrap it up. All right. So we'll put a bow on it and call it done. So until next time, may the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya. <laughs>